One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray as we come to look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for words of life that you speak to us through the scriptures. 
Uh, help us to focus well on your words to us. Might they take root and grow good fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the big growth areas over the last decade or so is the wellness industry. Uh, you might have seen it in your social media feed. Uh, our service leader this morning was saying that there are, uh, I think she said, 13 skincare clinics within a kilometre of her local shopping strip. Uh, you might see it in the supermarket aisle with more and more health foods and superfoods for sale. I'm a participant in this industry. Uh, I have a, a smartwatch that tracks my steps. Uh, you probably are too. Uh, if you wear a Fitbit or you go to the gym uh, or the mineral springs... Uh, this industry covers the kind of things you would expect, like health and physical activity and exercise, diet, nutrition, uh, also beauty and appearance, uh, wellness tourism, doesn't sound too bad, and even wellness real estate. Uh, I'm not convinced about that one. I'm not sure how buying a house can be good for your mental health, um, <laughs> but apparently... <laughs> uh, wellness tourism is growing especially fast, 20% per year, they reckon. And across the board, the industry is expected to grow at 10% per year for the next few years. And our region, Asia-Pacific, is the global leader. Who would have thought? Uh, more people seem to have more money and more leisure time and more desire to pursue their own well-being. And so there are more and more different places that we can look to improve our health, to get fitter and stronger and to look good. I wonder what your priorities are in this space. Is it physical health and exercise? Uh, are you more focused on your mental health? Uh, mindfulness, perhaps, a de-stressing? Are you tempted to investigate alternative medicine? Are you pursuing better sleep and rest? Uh, maybe your work-life balance needs retuning. Lots of us want to improve our life in different ways and, and feel better about the things that we do. And it's not just because of the pandemic and lockdowns. Wellness was growing long before 2020. And I think that's actually because the pursuit of wellness, health, happiness, prosperity, it's more than just a modern fad. It's actually a, a deep desire, a foundational drive. Maybe we have more money and more leisure time to devote to it these days, but the quest for it, the quest for health, for wellness, for, for life in that fullest sense. What's as old as humanity itself? Today, we're more likely to turn to the pharmacy, the gym, uh, or a spa treatment perhaps, but we still haven't found what we're looking for. Even with our technological advances and extra money and time, that we devote to ourselves, we still face serious threats to our well-being, to our physical health and mortality and disease, to our mental health. It might be dissatisfaction with our bodies or our appearance. For every image of a fit body posted on social media that inspires us, there are ten more that erode our sense of contentment and leave us feeling insecure. Despite the tremendous growth in this industry, we haven't cracked the well-being puzzle. One other place that people look, uh, both historically uh, and still today, is to turn to God. We, we seek spiritual help 
in our pursuit of wellness and healing. Writing in the New York Times recently, historian Molly Worthen describes modern miraculous healings. She asks whether we can ever prove that God is in fact behind them. She comes to the conclusion that we probably can't ever find scientific proof. Uh, We can't subject God to the microscope, as it were. But she does suggest that there's enough circumstantial evidence to indicate that something more is probably going on than our naturalistic explanations can account for. And she makes the point that our starting assumptions, whether we're sceptical or Christian or spiritually seeking or something else, are going to shape our reading of the evidence and the conclusions that we come to. And that's as true today as it was in the ancient world. So I wonder what your reaction was as we heard our passage from Acts read. In chapter 3 of Acts, Luke continues the story of the first disciples of Jesus. After his death, his resurrection and ascension, we meet a man who is desperately in need of wellness. He has been lame, unable to walk since birth. We're not sure what the issue is exactly. It seems to be with his feet and ankles. It's left him crippled, reduced to begging at the temple gate. He's suffering physically and economically, probably socially as well. Very limited prospects. He spends his days sitting and asking for money, hoping that the devout Jews who are coming to pray at the temple will take seriously the commands of God in the law to have mercy on those in need and give alms. Uh, Then one day, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest apostles, leaders amongst the early disciples, they come to enter the temple for prayer. And perhaps our friend is ashamed. Maybe he's despairing and exhausted from repeated rejections. But either way, he seems to be looking down until he hears Peter say, look at us, in verse 4. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. What is he expecting? A few coins? Some loose change? Something to fill his belly for another day? Well, he's going to get help. Not the help he was expecting. He's going to get far more than he could have dreamed of. Verse 6, then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. This man receives healing in the name of Jesus. And later on, we'll see how this leads to refreshment in the name of Jesus and ultimately to restoration in the name of Jesus. Uh, But here we see healing in the name of Jesus. And this sudden healing draws a crowd, uh, which is not surprising because this man is something of a local identity. People recognize him. Uh, We find out later he's about 40 years old. They have seen him for the best part of 40 years as they've walked in and out of the temple. 
they're stunned. This is not someone who uh, had a broken leg. He didn't just have a broken leg or some other injury and now he's gradually got better. He'd never walked a step in his life. But now he's standing up, walking back and forth. In fact, he's leaping and jumping. He's ecstatic. He's praising God. This is the best thing that's ever happened to him. And so he holds on to Peter and John. He won't let them go. And as the crowd begins to grow, people come running to see what all the commotion is about. Peter begins to speak. Verse 12, he says, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Now they say there's no such thing as a dumb question. And it's true, but Peter's really stretching it here, isn't he? Right? Why does this surprise you? Well, Peter, isn't it obvious? This guy who's never walked in his life, we've seen him here every day, is suddenly up and walking and jumping about simply because you told him to. But Peter is not taking the credit, not for a moment. He goes on, Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter makes very clear that this miracle is not a result of his power or John's power. Peter is not a magician with tricks to perform. And nor is he especially godly or holy. This miracle is not trying to show us how special Peter is. Rather, he says, this is the work of God through the name of Jesus. The work of God through Jesus. His name uh, talks about his authority, his power. And that was clear in the miracle itself, wasn't it? Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He was invoking Jesus' authority and power. The power doesn't come from Peter It doesn't even come through Peter because he's especially holy. It comes from the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Jews through the name of Jesus Christ. But this moment does tell us something about Peter and about John. It shows us that they are approved by God. It shows us that they are continuing the work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. This miracle is quite similar to one that Jesus did, which Luke describes earlier in his gospel in in volume one, if you like, to which Acts is volume two. And I think Luke's parallel is deliberate. He's making the point that Jesus' authority and his ministry continue through the work of these apostles. And just like for Jesus, who, remember, Jesus used his miracles to demonstrate the gospel that he was preaching, the message that he was preaching. And the same is true for Peter. The miracle is a sign that reveals and validates the gospel that he is about to go on to preach. Signs and miracles serve the proclamation of the gospel. This is so important, um, especially if you're someone who's investigating the claims of Christianity, the claims of Jesus, then uh, look into the miracles, think about them. But also don't get so hung up on them that you miss what they point to. Don't miss the message uh, that they're pointing to, the bigger message. Verse 13, 
Because this healing in the name of Jesus leads to Peter proclaiming refreshment in the name of Jesus. Refreshment in the name of Jesus, not just to one man, but to a whole crowd. And this is not just any crowd. Look at what Peter says about this crowd. He highlights a massive contrast between what these people have done and what God has done. These are Jews that have come to Jerusalem, so they're somewhat devout, we assume. And yet, look at what Peter says about them from verse 13. Peter says, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. That's what God has done. He's glorified Jesus. What has the crowd done? You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. You, 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 you. And at the distance of 2,000 years, how easy it is to join Peter in the finger pointing. How could they have been so stupid? How could they have chosen a murderer over Jesus? We would never have disowned Jesus. We wouldn't have been joining the crowds in calling for his crucifixion. Is that really true? Aren't we prone to the same cowardice, the same selfishness, even the same hostility? Isn't the same potential for evil in our hearts, given the right situation? Isn't this why we continue to seek wellness? Because we know that fundamentally we're not well. Peter's diagnosis for this crowd and for us is that our fundamental problem is our sin. This crowd has very clearly rejected God when they rejected his son and yelled, crucify him a couple of months beforehand. We might not do it to God's face, but we too reject God. We ignore him. We take his gifts to us and push him to one side, to the margins of our life. This can be true for Christians as much as for anyone else. We're just as liable to pursue our own well-being without reference to God. And so Peter's words indirectly apply almost as readily to us. Jesus went to the cross because of our sin as much as anyone else's. And that ought to be deeply humbling for us, that the saviour of the world needed to die for me. And yet also deeply comforting that the saviour of the world did die for me. He did it willingly. Because even though Peter points the finger at the crowd, he also knows that Jesus was not the victim of a mob lynching that got out of control. He knows that Jesus went willingly, not resisting, because he knew that this was part of God's plan at every point. 
He says as much in verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. God is sovereign. This was his plan. And yet also the people are culpable. God is sovereign. The people are culpable. It's a strange paradox, hard to wrap our heads around. You might like to send in a question about it. Uh, I wrote a little bit about it in the midweek news this week. If you want to have a look, I have to chat more after the service if you want to, if you want to talk. God is sovereign and yet that doesn't, um, doesn't negate the fact that these people are culpable for their rejection of Jesus. Because Peter basically says, God sent you your Messiah, the one you've been waiting so long for, and when he came, you killed him. Good work, guys. Real good. You killed the author of life. Could he put it in stronger terms? But he goes on, God has raised him from the dead. And through faith in his name, God has shown power to bring healing and life to this man. God has vindicated Jesus by raising him to life. And God is showing his power through the name of Jesus. So what should they do? Verse 19, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is Peter's message for the crowd. Not that they need physical healing or some other type of wellness or lifestyle enhancement. They need to repent. They need to turn back to God, do a a U-turn, stop living for themselves, stop pursuing sin and instead turn to God. It's his message for them. It's his message for us because we are not innocent. We each need Jesus' death for our sin too. Because the main impediment to our well-being is not a, a lack of exercise or stress impacting our mental health or poor diet choices or even how we feel about our bodies. These things are not nothing. I'm not saying they're unimportant, but they're not the main thing. The main impediment to our well-being as humans is being cut off from the author of life, from the source of of well-being. We're alienated from God because of our sin. And so Peter says, repent. Turn back to God. Trust in the Lord Jesus. He died so that your sins could be erased, wiped out, taken away completely. And to bring times of refreshing. This man who was healed has experienced a time of refreshing. When we receive God's Spirit, He refreshes us. Whenever we enjoy close companionship with the Lord through prayer or praise, through meditating on His Word, through encouraging one another, the Lord is refreshing us. God's desire is for your well-being. He wants you to be well. And that's why he doesn't simply focus on externals, how you look on the outside. And even this medical miracle of healing 
points us to a deeper miracle of what God is doing as people in the crowd uh, repent of sin and turn to him. As their sins are erased and they find new life in the name of Jesus. And if you're ready for that, there's nothing stopping you tonight. To repent, to turn away from pursuing your own self-interest and turn to God. Trusting in Jesus' name. Trusting in his death to wipe out your sins. And receiving the gift of his spirit and refreshment. You can do that tonight. I'd love to, to chat with you and pray for you as you do that. And we could leave it there for tonight. The gospel is about Jesus' death to erase our sins. But there's a bit more to it. And we're selling it short if we leave it there. There's more to this healing. There's more power in the name of Jesus. There's more to the gospel than just refreshment for you and for me. This healing in Jesus' name doesn't just point to our individual salvation and refreshing in Jesus' name. It points us to the full restoration of all things in the name of Jesus. Uh, have a look at verse 21. Heaven must receive him, that's the ascended Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised through his holy prophets. God's promise and plan is not just for you and for me and for a bunch of individuals. He's bringing healing and well-being and wholeness, not just to ankles and feet, not just to hearts and minds, but to cities and nations, to oceans and forests. He's bringing his healing to systems and to cultures. And I praise God for this because uh, as well as our sin, there are also external factors that impact our, our well-being. Maybe your workplace culture is grinding you into the dust. Maybe systemic prejudice is stacked against you. All things are corrupted by sin. And so all things need restoration. And that's what Peter is pointing to here in the name of Jesus. When you turn to God, it's not just about you and him. You become part of God's much larger plan to restore all things through the death and resurrection of Christ, through the ascension and return of the Lord. Jesus is the very center of God's awesome purposes for all things. Uh, Peter spells out he's the prophet like Moses. He says to this crowd that so value the words of Moses. God had promised him, so we must listen to him, the prophet like Moses. Uh, to these descendants of Abraham, he says, this is the true descendant of Abraham, the one through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that blessing starts as we turn from our wicked ways and live for God. Friends, if we want to be well, if we want to enjoy true health and wellness that lasts, that endures, we won't ultimately find it at the gym 
or through medication. Uh, We won't even find it in miraculous healing. We'll only find it in God himself. Only by turning to Jesus. Because only he can erase our sin. Only he can bring times of refreshment for you and for me. Only he can restore all things. Because only he is the author of life. So let's take a moment to pray and thank the Lord for his promise to restore all things. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for enduring death and rising to life and continuing to give life even to this day. Thank you that through faith in your name we find a deeper healing and wholeness than we can find anywhere else. And thank you that your promise is not just for us, but it's for the whole creation. Please bring refreshment and healing as we turn to you for us, for our community and city and nation. Might we live to your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.